The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Welcome to the Post-Truth Podcast. It is exciting to have absolutely every one of you joining us today. Man, we've been getting testimonies from Central Kenya all the way up into Ethiopia. And you know my love for Ethiopia. In fact, if there's some listeners listening right now from Ethiopia, I want you to contact me. Just make use of that link that you see on the podcast. And send me a message because I would like to assist in developing you and training you to get the message throughout Ethiopia. We personally believe that our ministry will finish its final lap of ministry in the country of Ethiopia. We have been working diligently over the past 20-30 years to work our way across the continent of Africa to get to Ethiopia. We have centers scattered throughout Africa, and if you put it on a map, as I have in my office, you'll see that that journey has taken us the most direct possible way we can to get to Ethiopia. If you want to know why we're a little bit obsessed about Ethiopia, you're going to have to contact me personally. But it's very prophetic, it's in the Bible, how God is going to use you, Ethiopians, to finish off the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there you have it. Today's a special day for a lot of believers around the world. And we are used to calling this special day what? Easter. In our pre-sermon, pre-sermon time, we talked about really what the true definition of Easter is, where Easter came from. It's, it's pagan. Most believers who do their homework today understand that most of the American and international holidays start from a pagan philosophy. Somehow they got integrated into the church, didn't they? We have churches all over the world celebrating Easter. Some even pull out their little bunnies. Some even have the bunny carrying around the Easter baskets and dropping it at the children's doors. Constantly perpetuating this deed of Easter eggs and the bunny. Most don't even realize that the Easter bunny was a Christ figure originally in the pagan. So we just continue on doing these things because they're fun, they're cute. We make movies about them, we make commercials about them, and we certainly make a billion dollars a year off of them. But how many of us true, authentic Christians, those of us who have truly received Jesus Christ, the Christ, how many true indwelt believers are clinging to resurrection? What really happened on Resurrection Day? 
Now, I don't want to shock anyone that's listening, but Resurrection Day did not take place in April. Now, that whole April scene was connected to Easter originally because of the spring and new life, and so it got pegged there, and it has remained there. Well, the date doesn't seem to matter as much as the principal life-changing truth of resurrection life. Now, I'm not going to give a message today on resurrection life. There are plenty of our podcasts, and I'm sure there's plenty of other preacher podcasts available this morning that will give you a great picture of resurrection. It happens to be the most popular message title to preach on Easter that there is in the church. I'm going to be talking about a different angle to looking at this portrait of Resurrection Day. We're going to talk about the how Jesus Christ himself came to render Satan powerless. See, most of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work, and you're going to have a few positive memories about Easter. How great the service was, and the fellowship, and the potluck, and whatever it was your church did to celebrate Resurrection Day. But by Tuesday, most are just going to go on with their lives, and they're not going to realize the real purpose that Jesus came. See, whatever power source you're plugged into is what's going to make your device work. And we're going to be talking about how Jesus himself came and unplugged Satan as being a power source. Literally, taken from our text, Jesus making him powerless. So the best illustration I can give you is that Jesus reached over and pulled the plug on flesh and blood that was attached to this power of death. And he replugged those who made the decision to receive Jesus Christ into their lives. He replugged them into a different power source. Those of you who have just joined us in the podcast, we are teaching on the topic of rendering Satan powerless. It's out of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Right there in the middle tab of the podcast page, you'll see a little tab that says Bible. If you tap on that, it should open up to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Read through the passage as we are actually breaking it down in the Greek and Hebrew. But the opening statement there that is being given to us is, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, When we look at the Greek from that passage, children or children of God, yes, the phrase that is used, children of God, is all of creation. That's why all these babies that are being aborted through birth control and through abortion and now through euthanasia, all of them are considered children of God. All of them. And we have talked about in a previous podcast 
and if you need to review that, I certainly would review it because some very blunt and powerful statements have been made about birth control is the same sin as abortion. It is stopping God from birthing his children. Just in 2019, it has been stated that abortion is the leading cause of death worldwide. Satan has been successful in stopping flesh and blood from being born. That God would like to have birth so that he can take the multitude of children, grow them up in the ways of the Lord, so that when they get old they will not part from it. Are you with me? See, we don't know when that person is going to have that little click of, I get the truth. Bobby's a classic example sitting here. He went through his life up to, what, two years ago, a year ago, whenever it was? And then a young man shares the gospel with him, and before Bobby knows it, he's starting to feel guilty about the alcohol and his lifestyle and blah, 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 and he lays his life before the Lord. He receives the unplugging from the power of death, And got plugged into who? Jesus Jesus Christ, called being born again. Some get it when they're a young child. I am not a real big advocate of childhood salvations, but I do not deny them. Typically speaking, it takes the human mind to understand why Jesus came, what he did while he was here, What's the whole thing about the cross? What's the whole thing about the 40 days? What's the whole thing about the ascension? But every once in a while we find the Holy Spirit falling down upon a child without having any understanding of the godological facts of salvation. And they get plugged into Christ. So whatever age is none of our business. What is our business is that we proclaim the truth so it does happen. That's the key for us. So the children of God here is actually referenced in the Greek as an infant. Immature Christian or half-grown. This is how Paul is referencing us in this passage. He's not referring to those who are on the meat of the gospel. He is referencing those who are infants yet. They're still bottle feeding on truth. You see, Paul knows that this is very important to train up a child in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they won't part from it. This age here is the most critical age to inform them of absolute truth. Not emergent truth, not a little white, a little black. It's called the gray zone. No, it is to plant the seeds to these little children who share in flesh and blood. And there is unsaved as a doorknob. So why in the world would Paul be addressing these unsaved children, or maybe 
saved children, infants in their faith. Because it is very easy for you and I to lean towards science to get our answers. It just so happens that our educational system in the world today is to bend the human mind towards sciences. So what we're doing as Christ-centered worldview teachers is we're trying to make use of science to prove Jesus. It's backwards. Instead of making the proclamations of Jesus and then people say, well, that's in science. Yes, it is. Because he is science. You see, it will take you a complete different pathway in explaining truth. But that's not the bent of the world. The bent of the world is to bend these little minds at this age towards science. To get degrees in science field of choice. Whether it is the medical world, whether it is political science, everything's called science today. Can you imagine taking that little girl right there who's cuddled up to the side of Jesus and turning her head away to the sciences? You see, it is instinctive in her already to be drawn to life and light. It, it doesn't have to be thought through. It doesn't have to be strategized. She doesn't even need a homeschool certificate to love Jesus. She is drawn to the life of Christ. And what we have the tendency to do is to turn that little head away from Jesus at a very young age and start teaching them how to be rational in their thinking. How to think through logically instead of Godologically. And pretty soon this little girl is no longer looking up into the face of Jesus. And that light on her face is coming from the life of Jesus Christ onto her face. And it's that light and life that will transform that little mind to be faithful and loyal and immovable to Jesus Christ all the days of her life. We have destroyed our culture by turning our children's heads towards science. Now, anyone who knows me as a researcher knows that I study the sciences. I know psychology better than I want to admit. I know physiology fairly well. I am big on political science. I study the arenas that people are in so that I can address them. The light and life that is shining on me is my job to turn toward these sciences and shine the light and life on that study. If it happens the other way, that little girl pretty soon is going to pull herself away from the side of Jesus. And she'll start leaning on leaders and quoting philosophers and teachers and whoever. The worship of man will slowly creep into the the heart of that little girl. The most distracting and destructive method of destruction 
in our youth today, starting at 12 years of age, is called superheroes. There's a billion-dollar industry when it comes to videos and movies and comic books and apps and all kinds of stuff that are focused on these superheroes. The reason why it's a billion-dollar industry is because of what you're looking at this morning. It works. Children admire kings, heroes. It's in them. So where their face is turned toward is a pretty important factor for me. I do actually know young children who get the truth faster than their parents that are sitting in the room listening to the podcast. The reason why that this is is that that little mind right there is not filled with a bunch of scientific clutter. It's simple. It's so simple that Jesus himself said this to you, listener, listen very carefully, and remember to click on that salvation prayer if you're experiencing conviction right now. Jesus made this simple statement. He says, unless you become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You see, Unless we're like that little girl there, snuggled up to Jesus, you're not even getting into the kingdom of God. Now, if that is a requirement coming from Jesus' mouth himself, those of you who are studying the science as a Christ follower and thinking that your knowledge of that science is going to give you an open door to discuss Jesus with those in the sciences you're going to be waking up to an unbelievable surprise someday. You're going to discover you are a Christ follower versus being indwelt by him. You want to get on the other side and be with that large, large, excessively large group of people that say, I casted out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I perform miracles in your name. And Jesus' response to that is? Depart from me. I never knew you. I get involved in a social retweeting dialogue this past couple days over a very fired up issue in social media. Well, out of this multitude of people that were in this dialogue, there was one lady that just popped up. And I read her comment and I went, oh my goodness. She silenced everyone. Because I put the posting in there, when is the church going to wake up to the fact that there's a difference between Christ followers and those who are authentic, indwelt believers. You see, because they were arguing on the talking points of criminalized Christianity, but see, the reality was, 
it's endless. And all the people joining in on the discussion was proving that. And I just put it in there basically with a wake-up call. Like, when are you guys going to get this? And you know what scripture this lady quoted? Oh, there shall be many that will come before the throne of God, saying they have casted out demons, and put that verse right in place, and it just silenced the whole discussion that was going on around the world. You are my kind of teacher, lady. You see, there's fewer and fewer of those of us true authentic believers of authentic absolute truth that sticks to the basics of immovable scripture. Now, this next phrase where it says that we as children of God share in flesh and blood, the Greek there is to participate in carnal flesh and blood. If I look over here at Aaron, took my fist and hit him in the face, he's going to get a bruise and he's going to say, ouch. He might even hit me back. And if he does, I'll get a bruise, which is internal bleeding. This is what Paul is referencing here. I am not, that I know of, directly related to Aaron by DNA. But this I do know. His DNA can be tracked back to Adam, and so can mine. The human race. Okay? This is the category that Paul is putting us in. We all share in that. We're all brothers of humanity. That is the talking point of the universal world peace people. We're all brothers. They're correct. But we better not stop there. Since they're correct, something's got to get unplugged. <laughs> Are you with me? Paul would probably say to these universalist humanitarians, You're right! You're absolutely correct. Science proves it. But we can't stop there. I think Paul would even step up to say, you're about to be unplugged. Then what? When you're faced with death, which means devil. Now, what about then? What are you going to do? You're going to run around that dark place hunting for a power socket. And that's why you will spend eternity in darkness. Because there's no light source, that socket is not going to be able to give you any power to produce any form of light because Jesus unplugged it. When it says that Jesus himself also partook, in the Greek it means Christ came as flesh and blood of man. Well, here is our, our dynamic truth being presented to us. I'm going to make a statement, and you guys here locally just tell me if that is false or if it's true. Okay? Jesus Christ was born of Mother Mary. True. Mary was his mother. Jesus Christ, as an unborn child, was in Mary's womb. 
God the Father knew Jesus Christ before he was put in Mary's womb through conception of a seed of God. True. Jeremiah, you abortionists listen very carefully, even though even you Christ followers and indwell Christians who have had an abortion or are using birth control, listen very carefully, because this will change your entire worldview. God directly said to Jeremiah, whether it was through an angel or however that scene unfolded, but we do know this discussion happened. Jeremiah chapter 1, God said to Jeremiah, before you were before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were conceived, I consecrated you. If you cannot connect the simple dots that Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, that was brought into this world to share and participate in our flesh and blood, was preordained before Joseph even had a thought to go hunt for Mary. Before Mary even had a thought of she was going to be the mother of God in its proper context. God had already selected the whole pathway of freedom. Now why in the world would God choose a sin-filled woman? Sorry you Catholic listeners aren't going to like this because you believe that Mary's body was perfect. Okay? There's a news update on that. She was not. But a part of the news update was is that Mary came from the seed of David, David came from the seed of Abraham. Write that on the side of your notes because we're coming back to that. So how a true, clear, authentic Christian cannot connect these two dots is something I've warred with God in my office. I have wept. I can't even tell you how many times I have wept over the church. That they cannot connect the simple dots of God knew us before we were in our mother's womb. Why wouldn't Satan come up with a system to kill and destroy God's future prophets and teachers of the world? It was a perfect plan that's bought into, I included, my wife and I to get on our knees and repent for using birth control. So I'm not pointing the finger at anyone besides all of us. I'm just here to tell you, it's the most grievous sin on the face of the earth. Birth control. I don't care what form you use. Euthanizing them at six months after they're born or before they become a thought in the womb. You're the only one that can connect that dot. I am told by many of my readers and listeners that I am speaking and preaching to a very small group of people. Because even those who do agree with that is absolute truth cannot 
handle it, so they reject it in passivity. He goes on to say that through death, and in the Greek it says becoming one with, the finality of damnation. That just blows my mind, that Jesus himself through death, in other words, becoming one with death, Jesus says something really wild and crazy on the cross. And many denominations and even non-denomination types call it the cry of the damned, which really goes with this original text. But he said something on the cross that was illogical for a man who claimed to be the Son of God to say. What was it? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you think Jesus was just crying out in his pain because, you know, once your arm is twisted and it hurts and you get to that that threshold of pain where you can't handle another ounce of it, you buckle and you say something kind of stupid. That is not what was going on here. It was an official cry of the damned. God can never look upon sin. It is a standard theological doctrine of Christianity. God cannot look at sin. That's why Jesus came, to deal with sin. You see, when Jesus made another statement before the cry of damnation, which was what? He only made several phrases. Forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. Now let's put the sequence together. How many of you listening are aware, and you can text me your answer at 602-292-2982. Text me your answer. How many of you know this doctrinal, life-changing truth of the cross? That Jesus himself became sin. 602-292-2982. He became 100% flesh and blood of man. He had lost the shining glow of the Father. The Father turned his head away from Jesus because Jesus became sin. God could not look upon sin, so God had to turn his face away from his son because Jesus became sin. You see, that picture that you're looking at right there is a perfect example of how it works. As long as that little girl is looking up at Jesus and the radiant glory and beauty and perfection of Jesus is shining down. See, even though we didn't put Jesus' face in this picture, I can see it in my mind as an artist. This beautiful, accepting look and embrace of truth shining down on this little girl. And she's bathing in what is true, at what she is gazing upon. 
That was how Jesus and his father were living together while he was on earth. He was totally accepted and empowered and plugged in to the light and life of God. For God is light, John said. And all of a sudden, God turns his head. That picture would go from this beautiful, radiant reflection of light of Jesus to a very dark person, little girl. And there's plenty of them out there. And from that dark position, whether he knew it intellectually or not, we do not know. I believe he did. When he became sin, God turned his head from his own son. The light and life was moved away from his own son. And of course, then he says it is finished. And does that mean God turned back? What happened after he said it is finished? He died. But what about this death thing? Who had the dominion of death? Well, that's a reference to Satan, the the devil. In the Greek, it means one who possessed the rights of death. Well, what, what about that? Satan won. As Satan believed, he won at that moment. And then this other thing had to happen after they dressed him up in his, you know, burial garb and stuck him in the tomb for three days. Something happened very actively in that three days. He descended into the lower parts. I love it when some of you listeners send me emails on this one, that the lower parts was just simply him remaining silent in the dark tomb to pay for our sins. That's my favorite depravity response, listener. So don't email me that. Then there's others that don't even know what to do with that, for he descended into the lower parts. What's that, just the dirt underneath the grass roots? Or if you look at the Greek, the lower parts there is to the place of damnation and condemnation. The reason why we can't call that hell is because the word hell is not activated by prophecy until we start reading in the book of Revelation. But there was a place called Hades, place of damnation. Jesus did not have the Shekinah glory on his face as he was in the tomb. He was detached because he was sin, folks. He was your murder. He was your parental rejection. He was your your hatred comments. He was your social justice issues. He was all this dark stuff. He became sin on our behalf. And he had to go to the lower parts, Hades, and pay the price for three days straight, being tempered and tortured in ways that God himself would not record. But I can only imagine the torment and punishment that God released Satan to do on 
Jesus during those three days to pay for every murderer and every emergent believer and every hater of God and every lover of God who thinks they're saved. He had to take the punishment for three days straight. And one of the 13 names of Satan is Punisher. When you use punitive behavior on others, it comes from the demonic word of Punisher. I will make you pay for your sins, therefore I'll ignore you. I will make you pay for your sins, therefore I'll reject you. I will make you pay for your sins, I will remind you of what you did to us. You are manifesting demonic punishment. And that's what Jesus took for you in those three days. And then all of a sudden, something happened. He's laying there as a stiff on that slab of rock in the tomb. And something so unbelievably miraculous happens. On the last split second... That was ordered for him to take the punishment in the lower parts. Hades being beaten by Satan. Who thinks at that moment he is winning. And he's about to be unplugged. He's laying there. And the light. The face of God. Turns. To shine upon his son. And it creates such a miraculous, zealous reaction in that body. That dead body laying on that piece of slab. That face-to-face look of Shekinah glory reactivated everything in that body of his. And he got up. And those angels rolled that stone away. And he walked out of that dark devil's place. Called the tomb. And life began. That's what happened. That's what Paul is saying to the Hebrew people here. In order to... Get Satan unplugged. He had to go do it personally. We cannot assume that when he went to the lower parts, he pulled out his spiritual sword and sliced Satan into bits. Because we wouldn't have all of these warnings about the Antichrist coming to do that to us. Which is coming soon. Yes, it's been going on since the days of the martyr disciples, but I'm telling you, there is a form of torture coming unknown to the human mind. You'll be granted a duty to kill people by law. You'll be granted duty to turn your parents in by law. Did Jesus not say that? For there shall come a day... When brother will rise up against brother and father against children and so forth and so on to be put to death. You see, Satan's goal is to get people in that tomb because they'll never come out 
There's no plugging back in once you're on that side. And I don't care what your theology says. It is all a bunch of lies to think you can pray and talk to dead saints. It's all a bunch of lies if you think you can pray someone out of purgatory. That is evil, demonic, and not of God. You have between now and the day, the moment of death. That is all you get to get unplugged and plugged into the power source of Jesus Christ. That's it. Make your movies about life after death. God won't even take the time to look at them. Because there is no benefit in them. He goes on to say, Christ might free, in this passage, in the Greek it says, change away, release, remove, or deliver. Anyone who's listening to this podcast and you have any twinges of, man, I don't think I'm saved. I probably wouldn't ignore that thought. Satan counts on this knowledge. He wants you to wake up the next day and goes, well, that was just a fleeting emotion I had. I just felt guilty while they were preaching at me. Really? Once a heart turns hard as stone, the stone has to be broken. We're warned of this in the scriptures. He goes on to say this definition here of the fear of death. We talked about it in our question in group time. The fear of death that people carry is actually being defined for us here as a fright of dying, a terror of damnation and condemnation. There's only two things that drive people to protecting themselves. Condemnation and damnation. Don't tell me I'm going to go to hell. Yes, I will. I will tell you. Immovably tell you. Unless you have the life and light of Jesus Christ from inside out, as John says, you're going to hell. You'll go to Hades first, and then you'll be tossed into this hell, which has gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, burning at you for eternity. It just has to embrace the flame. Forever! Why wouldn't I be passionate about making sure that that 10% gets saved? That's why I get a little revved up. He also said we're subject to slavery. We're subjects to the one who possessed the rights of death, is what it means. To be a real slave, you are a slave to the one who possesses the right of death. That's our context. Well, who wouldn't want to be unplugged from that guy? 90% of the listeners listening right now, you're either going to say to yourself, well, thank God I'm a Christian. Well, to you, I would say, are you a Christ follower or are you possessed by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by him? Which are you exactly? Christ following is a Catholic term. And it just so happens to be the term that is used to define a Christian in the Protestant world. When are we going to stop adopting their holidays? When are we going to stop adopting their theologies? When are we going to stop believing their rhetoric? Christ following will lead you to the pit of hell. Because any Christ can put their name in there. 
But being indwelt by the life of Jesus Christ is a whole different world. You've been unplugged and plugged back in to the real life. Jesus said here that he doesn't provide help for the angels. Now, most of us, including me, when I read that, I went, well, of course not. (laughs) Angels don't need Jesus. They are the reflection of his perfection. Angel, angelic, reflection of perfection. So I get it. But the Lord revealed to me as I was preparing for this sermon is that that also includes demonic. Demons are called demons because God took the name angel away from them. They don't reflect perfection anymore. The term demon is a rebellion, a reaction against perfection. So there's no help for them either. That's why angels cannot go through a born-again experience. They don't need to. Demons can't go through a born-again experience. They're not allowed to. They've already been placed in this lower parts to become part of the torturing. That's what's going on. So he didn't need to provide help to those angels. Now, this descendants of Abraham thing has brought up a lot of confusion with people because the passage itself is really pointing the lineage of salvation out to us in the seed of Abraham. The promise given to Abraham was given to the two sons of Abraham. Those were? Isaac and Ishmael. The Isaac descendants got the same promise God promised to Abraham for his descendants. As the number of stars in the sky and all those promises were given to Isaac. But the thing is, is Ishmael was born first. Actually, God, I believe through an angel, spoke to her when she was in the desert and said, God will keep his promise for your, his descendants will be many and blah, blah, blah. Who's our number one opposition in the world today in regard to Christianity? Muslims. Muslims. Direct to that promise. We have Paul here addressing the lineage coming from Isaac. That literally Jesus Christ himself can be proven through Mary's DNA that went to David. And David, it can be proved, went directly to Abraham. Now, how does that affect us born-again believers? Well, the scriptures tell us that once you become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, and you receive the Shekinah glory on your face and life, Something very unique happens. We are grafted into the body of Christ. Body of Christ is Jewish. Body of Christ is directly related to the promise of Abraham. The seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. Everything perfectly matches up historically and through DNA. Now we have this unbelievable truth bits being presented to us is that 
The only way you Muslim listeners, and I know I have Muslim listeners, I hear from some of them. The only way you Muslims are ever going to get the real goods, the real rewards, the real life, is you're going to have to unplug from Ishmael. Yes, you can claim the promises that you are growing beyond numbers that you could possibly imagine as a sociologist. Yes, the numbers are massive. The Muslim people have more human beings on the face of the earth than any race in the entire world. You haven't pulled your plug, so to speak, on detaching from the world system to run the world, but we know you're going to. But that doesn't grant you eternal life. You have to be re-plugged into the descendants of Abraham by way of Isaac, which is the descendant lineage that Jesus himself came with and came from. So Jesus made it clear that he himself became like us, the brethren. But see, he didn't stop in that position. He was faithful to his father. He had to become mercy and faithfulness, which which means compassionate, the object of trust. He couldn't stay in that human state. He had to finish the human state off for the unplugging. When he came out of the tomb, resurrection day, There was a whole new system and DNA put in place for all true indwelled believers. Those of us who are truly indwelled got grafted onto the body of Christ into the lineage and descendants of Abraham. We are now part of the promise. Jesus became the high priest, as Shannon read to us a few minutes ago. High priest is very interesting that the definition that is used there is an extension of a chief priest, specifically God. God was functioning as the chief priest and he sent his son as the high priest, thus becoming on resurrection moment, not day, thus becoming on resurrection moment, he became the chief priest. And he is the highest of highest, the king of kings, the lord of lords. There is no one higher than him. And as for his position with God the Father, God is his father. He trained him up in the ways of him being lord, God. He trained his own son up, did an excellent job, fulfilled all of the things he promised his son he would do, and it is finished. Yeah, a whole lot more happened on that day where he died and on that day where he was resurrected than what the church has given him credit for. He finishes this passage by saying he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. Go ahead and list them out on your piece of paper, listener. Murder, strife, homosexuality. Just list them. Find your social justice issue. Put it on the piece of paper. And he was tempted in every single one of those things. And it is hard to imagine that Jesus was tempted with some of our transgender 
ideologies that are floating around society today that will become normal for us to use in five years. It's just difficult to imagine that Jesus was tempted with that garbage. Jesus was tempted with murdering someone. Jesus was tempted with having world control. Jesus, the list goes on and on. He wanted us to understand that because he came and shared in flesh and blood, ended the whole power of death, the devil, in those born in flesh and blood. He took care of that phase of it. He came out of the tomb and gave resurrection life to every single person who truly got it and received him through the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he could provide aid to bring relief, help, and deliverance to those who want it. Because your Christ-following beliefs is not going to give you this kind of resurrection life. The only thing that's going to give you this kind of resurrection life is for Christ to unplug you and walk over and plug you into the living God. And then you'll be drawn to the side of Jesus, not because of knowledge and science and figuring out the scriptures. You'll be drawn to Jesus' side because of the radiant life and light he's casting upon your face and heart. I couldn't resist salvation. Once the Lord looks upon us for the moment of salvation, you can't resist it. It's impossible. But what you can do is become so worldly-minded, you are of no eternal light benefit. And that is happening to the majority, I'm afraid. So in our journey today, we've been covering Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. We started out with being the children of God. Then proof text was given to us of the pathway of deliverance, exactly how that really unfolds in literal terms, as in cells in the human body, to deliverance spiritually of cells of eternal light, light that keeps producing light. We finish this whole thing off of just Paul simply saying, do you not realize that he did all this just so he could provide relief, comfort, from a very dark world? If you want the light and life of Jesus Christ, look into his face, not his scriptures. There's a lot of intellectual people walking the face of the earth who have degrees in theology, but they're as dark as their closets. And the only ones that are going to go to heaven are the ones plugged in to the living God. And that cord is the Holy Spirit, and you are the smart device. That's it. There's no better way to understand resurrection moment than to be in the moment for the resurrection life. Are you there? 602-292-2982. And I would be more than willing to encourage Jesus to dialogue with you. But do not send me your social justice issues. I will not dialogue with you. This is about resurrection and life in Christ. Thank you for joining us today.
This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.